Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Monax. Thank you so much. However you're listening to the show, whether it is on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, uh, iHeart, however you're checking out this podcast, thank you so or thank you so much for doing so. It is much appreciated. Uh, we are a proud member of the GBB Podcast Network. Check out 3ND Core 4, Starting 5, and of course, a long view with Parker Fleming, my co-host for this show. He's not joining me on this episode, but he is here more often than not, and he also does a great job with the Longview podcast. Check out all those uh, over at the GAV Podcast Network. And of course, you can follow all of our work writing-wise at grizzlybearblues.com. We're also proud members of the SB Nation Network in terms of being the Memphis Grizzlies blog for SB Nation. And I'm excited to have one of SB Nation's national writers with us today to talk about his amazing article in which he dubs the Memphis Grizzlies America's team. And that first and foremost is the most important piece that we are going to discuss with our guest on this episode, Mr. Ricky O'Donnell. Again, he's an editor and writer for SB Nation. He did a phenomenal job. I want to give the exact tweet because I loved it so much. Ricky, you said you wrote about America's Memphis Grizzlies. So maybe you didn't call them America's team, but you said that they belong to America and damn it. It's about time that someone acknowledged that the Memphis Grizzlies are America's Memphis Grizzlies. Well, I'm glad my, uh, you know, half-ass sales job worked on you guys. But, yeah, I feel like everyone likes the Grizzlies, right? The Grizzlies are like a small market team that has consistently had a lot of really fun players and been involved in a lot of really fun series. I'm thinking back to beating the Clippers and the Thunder in the playoffs. I want to say that was 2013. Uh, Those were just like teams that really resonated, I think with a lot of fans around the league is an example of like a small market building the right way. So uh, I think it's been really cool to see the Grizzlies go on this hot streak without John Morant fourth in the Western conference. It's been a great story and uh, everyone's been so on the calves lately. So I had to show the Grizzlies because they've been uh, pretty awesome themselves over the last two weeks. With that guy, JB Bickerstaff that Memphians certainly don't know anything about (laughs) JB Bickerstaff. Um, You know, obviously, a former coach for the Grizzlies, and he was just not a good fit for that version of the team. But it's awesome to see him have success. I believe at the time I mentioned that I thought he deserved another crack at being an NBA head coach. He just wasn't really ready for the spot that the Grizzlies were in. And sure enough, he's having a lot of success with Cleveland, and it's really good to see. But Ricky, again, the the official title of the article that you wrote, and you can follow Ricky on Twitter, which I highly recommend you do if you don't already, at SBN underscore Ricky, Uh, you wrote an article and the tweet talked about the Grizzlies being America's team. Uh, But your article's title was officially how the Grizzlies are playing their best basketball without John Morant. So before folks go and check out that article, hopefully as they listen to the podcast, uh, just give a brief kind of preview as to what you focused on with that in mind. Because it is kind of, uh, you know, the, the idea of the Ewing theory. It's a conundrum, a paradox. You know, JB or not JB, Ja Morant is clearly the Grizzlies' best player in terms of his offensive impact, especially. I have a feeling we're going to talk about his defense a little bit here in a moment. Uh, But offensively, he stirs the drink. He's that straw. There's no doubt about that. But in his absence, guys have stepped up. The ball has moved in different ways than perhaps it did with Ja. And they're clearly having success. There's some luck that's involved in that, too. And I know you touch on that. But just a general overview. From a national perspective, an outside perspective, because as I like to say, I like having guys like you that aren't in the thick of it in Memphis 
you know, you're seeing some of the same stuff we are at Grizzly Bear Blues. Talk about what you wrote about in terms of how they're actually doing this, uh, playing their best ball without jaw. Yeah, well, the first thing I did when I was starting to write the article was to go read all the great coverage on Grizzly Bear Blues, and Grizzlies fans are lucky to have That's a great shout-out. Such a great team site, covering the team, uh, been a great team site for a long time, so uh, well done on all your coverage there. And, yeah, I think, you know, it's a lot of things. It's Jaron Jackson sort of uh, fully growing into his talents, I think, you know, missed his entire third season or most of his third season with the meniscus tear. I know he came back at the end of last season, but uh, for the start of this year, it felt like Jaron Jackson Jr. was a player who sort of left you wanting more. I think that he's really taken a step up uh, in Jaw's absence. And, uh, you know, some of the ways Taylor Jenkins uses him running around pin downs like he's a wing, attacking the basket off the dribble, you just don't see that skill set in someone with his size. I think, what is he, 6'11 with a 7'4", 7'5", wingspan, I was a huge Jaron Jackson guy back in the draft, and it's been awesome to see him, uh, you know, grow into the sort of player that I thought he could become in that draft class. And I still think there's there's more upside there. Still, what is he, 23 years old or something? Uh, 22 years old. He's actually, 22. and this is true, a month younger than John Moran. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so I think Jaron taking a step up has been big. I think Desmond Bain's offensive evolution has been fantastic. He was someone who... Swoon. Swoon. I love Desmond Bain. Yeah. When the Grizzlies got him, he was someone who you're thinking, well, all right, he's a four-year college player, uh, great shooter, and pretty tough defender, even though he doesn't have great size. So you can let him guard other guards. He'll be a bulldog in in that regard. And then uh, he'll space the floor for Morant. And be someone who, you know, can hit shots in a driving kick offense. But I think that during Morant's absence, he's been really good as a creator, which is sort of a step we saw him take in his final season at TCU. Uh, I feel like he struggled a little bit in that regard. At Summer League, maybe early in his career last year, he was in a little bit more of a narrow role. But now he's growing out of that. I think that he looks potentially like the Grizzlies' third best player. I think Dylan Brooks has been awesome for them, too. But having a guard like Bain, who like basically could fit into any team structure, every team needs shooting, every team needs defense. And now he's sort of fine tuning his secondary creator chops. And I think that, uh, you know, his evolution as an on ball creator and someone who can run a pick and roll late in the shot clock if the ball's not in Jaw's hands or if Jaw's initial action breaks down. Uh, that's just a really great find for Memphis. But more than anything, and the reason I wanted to write about the team is I feel like their success with Morant sidelined is sort of uh, what happens when you just constantly win on the margins. And I think that, you know, Memphis is a team that decided they were going to build through the draft and build through some trades. Uh, Who's the biggest free agent signing in franchise history? Is it Probably Chandler Parsons. It is Chandler Parsons. Thanks for bringing that up, Ricky. I really appreciate it. Yeah, sorry about you know. that. Sorry about well, that. Well, it's not like you wrote a piece saying that Chandler Parsons and the Memphis Grizzlies were a match made in heaven. Like I did, boldly predicting that Parsons would choose Memphis. He does do that, and then it's a terrible, flaming disaster. That First of all, I, I wasn't me, but that was a friend of mine. That was a friend. <laughs> I may have written that piece. I can't really remember. Oh, that. no, I did. I'm the one that wrote it, unfortunately. Yeah, that was me. Thanks for reminding me. Uh. But so basically it's a, you know, an organization that's probably not going to compete for the top level free agents. 
So what they've had to do is try to win through the draft, uh, hitting on their top picks for sure. And they did that with Morant. You know, thank God they got Morant, because otherwise you guys would probably be sitting here right now being like, why didn't we take Trey Young? We took Jaron Jackson one pick before Trey Young, but getting Morant the next year totally made up for that. Uh, so, you know, that sort of worked out perfectly for them by jumping up in the 2019 draft. And then all these moves on the margins, I think, have been really smart. Desmond Bain was someone who a lot of people loved in the draft. He falls to the last pick in the third round. They trade up and go get him. Same thing can be said for Xavier Tillman, uh, similar to Bain, another veteran college player, older rookie. But Xavier Tillman was one of the best players in college basketball his last two years at Michigan State. He slips just out of the first round. Grizzlies make a move, go get him. De'Anthony Melton, they get him. When the Phoenix Suns are looking to save some money, they give him away. Melton's still only 23 years old. Uh, such a fun player. Getting better as a shooter seemingly every year. Really tough defensive player. They get him. He's given them a positive contribution. They got him to sign to an extension as well. Uh, you could look at John Conchar, who is from my part of the world in Chicago. He went to West Chicago High School. Um, four-year mid-major player at Fort Wayne who put up just awesome stats, but maybe lacked some of the athletic pop, I guess, or just like the high-level competition that teams look for. And he slips out of the draft. The Grizzlies get him. He's been giving him some good minutes. So you could really go up and down the roster. Tyus Jones is a good example of it. Uh, they've just found a lot of positive contributions. And it's been cool to even see Killian Tilly uh go on a little bit of a hot streak here too i just feel like there's so many examples jared culver as well i know he hasn't played a ton but he's been playing a little bit recently uh tilly's still on a two-way contract and has given the grizzlies really good minutes i always liked his game dating back to gonzaga he was never healthy now he's healthy uh so that's been fun to watch and i feel like the the reason memphis has been good is because they don't really have any terrible players in the rotation everyone is like a relatively competent NBA player. Jenkins is a very good coach who knows how to deploy them uh, to the best of their abilities. And without Morant in the lineup, who, you know, it is best really is sort of like uh, the type of star that everything revolves around. You've seen some of these younger guys stretch their wings a little bit more. And it's been, uh, you know, one of the better stories in the league since it started happening. So Ricky is saying that John Morant should be on the trade block. Clearly it's time. To move on from Jaw, according to Ricky O'Donnell. No, I'm just kidding. Clearly, we're not saying that. Jaw, I don't know if you know this or not, Ricky. Jaw is fairly active on Twitter. Um, and he he doesn't like when you you make jokes uh, about those kinds of things. So I'm just joking. That's just a joke. Uh, it wasn't me, at least. It was one of our writers that, that kind of got crushed by that. But anyway, I digress. Um, Jaw is very active on social media. Shout out to Jaw. He's doing a great job. For the Grizzlies, of course, and I'm curious, Ricky, you talked a lot about all the great players that are role players, and we'll dive more into that when it comes to the idea of the third man. Do the Grizzlies need the third man, either via the draft or via trade? Uh, are they set roster-wise? I'm curious, when you watch the team play right now, a lot has been made of the defense. Uh, the team really struggled defensively in the time before Jaw got injured. Uh, you could see a lot of attacks in the pick and roll where Steven Adams and Jaw Morant were kind of picked on. Jaw is not one of the better defenders in the NBA. Last season, he was one of the very worst and a lot of various metrics. And by your eyes, he hasn't gotten much better so far this year as a defender. And 
it's not a coincidence, at least to an extent, that the defense has improved some with John Morant out. Now, there's other factors involved. Teams were scorching the net against Memphis early on. I think the average was like 50% from three. Even if Jaw didn't get hurt, that was never going to be maintained. Teams were going to uh, regress back to the mean. But when you watch this Grizzlies team, you watch how they play defense and uh, research for your article. How much of it, like on a percentage-wise, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, would you say is simply the fact that Ja Morant isn't there? Or is it much larger just the fact that they're executing? Dylan Brooks obviously returning, I think, has been a massive reason they've had a lot more success. Steven Adams looks more spry, a little bit healthier, a little bit more comfortable in the scheme. It's certainly in, by no means all jaw. How much would you put on the fact that Moran is not there that the defense has improved? Yeah, it's a big it's a big question for sure. I think you kind of took the words out of my mouth in terms of what's been happening. The big thing is that teams were on fire from three. They're hitting everything uh, through the first, you know, 19 games of the season until Moran got hurt against the Hawks. I want to say opponents were shooting 41% from three or something. And then uh, at that point when Moran got hurt, the Grizzlies were the worst defense in the NBA. They were 30th and they weren't even close to 29th. No, like it was bad. Clearly the worst defense in the league and they're the best defense in the league since Morant got hurt. So yeah, the natural follow-up question is how much of this is because of Morant? Uh, just to like throw a number off the top of my head, I would say maybe like 30, 35% uh, is, you know, Ooh, due to Morant. That's actually being... higher than I thought you'd go. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it's interesting. I would, I don't in... know that you're, I don't think you're being unfair. It's certainly not the majority reason. It's not the biggest reason, uh, but yeah. I, I actually think that's not a, a decent percentage how can Ja be better just from your watching of him? You know, obviously he's so important to the offense and he's so vital there. He expends so much energy there. I'm not asking him to be Gary Payton, but when you watch John Morant play defense, what is something that is just like a tangible idea in your mind that he could say, okay, maybe fight over a few more screens or maybe position your body, be a little more prepared for the screen or the pick. You know, is there anything in particular that kind of stands out to you that could just be a tiny thing that could yeah, make a bit exactly of a difference? What I was going to say it was just like screen navigation, which is tough for everyone in the league. That's like something that it seems like some players just have. I remember watching Jimmy Butler when he was a young player on the Bulls. Uh, he just understood it from, you know, early in his career when he started getting minutes in his second, third year. And, you know, it's tough. If, uh, when you see smaller guards just die on screens constantly, that's hard. I think also just like better off ball awareness, just like more attentive defense, closing out a little bit harder on shooters. Uh, I don't think Morant is a lost cause defensively by any means. Obviously, he's pretty good at getting steals. Great when he does get out in transition. Uh, and I do think it's more like getting Brooks in the lineup and then opponents have stopped hitting a bunch of threes. And uh, you probably know the specifics of this more than I do, but I feel like during the winning streak, a couple of the teams they were, were playing were missing their best players. So like absolutely sort of goes into it too. Uh, but there, there's definitely some low hanging fruit for Jai. I think like he's, he, you don't want to say he's going to be like a Damian Lillard level, poor defender, even though Lillard obviously is still a superstar level player, but uh, I think his defensive reputation is sort of, you know, caught up to him after multiple years of uh, poor defense. I do think Morant's better than that. I do think he can get to like a league average level defender. And 
he was really playing at an all NBA level before he got hurt. Like that's the funny thing. You're talking about the team taking off once he goes down, but Morant was phenomenal. And it seemed like when he got hurt, it's like, well, the Grizzlies are going to lose every game when he's out. That's why it's so remarkable that the team has been on a big hot streak with him sideline. But uh, yeah, I think that the defense shouldn't be the worst defense in the league right now. I believe they've gone up to 18 on the season again, just totally crazy moving from 30 to 18 over the last, nine or 10 games. Uh, And I think that that's probably where they should be. Like there are some legitimately pretty good defensive players in this lineup. I think, you know, having Brooks play 30 minutes a game certainly helps them. And uh, while they don't have like great size on the perimeter, I would say that like, that's one thing just like generally holding back the defense a little bit. Uh, they, They have guys who know how to play and Jenkins has a good scheme for them. So I think that this is about where I would expect them to finish the season, you know, around 20-ish probably in terms of defensive efficiency. And the fact that they were so bad uh, in the early portion of the season, I really think has more to do with shooting variance and with Brooks being out than it does about, you know, whatever Morant shortcomings are on the defensive end. I would agree with that. They were the number seven defense last year. So I think 18 or so long-term would be a bit of a a bit of a disappointment, but I, I agree with you overall in terms of it being a, a perfect storm of crap in terms of how poorly things went to start the year. They're not the best defense in the NBA. They're certainly not the worst defense in the NBA. Fifteenth ish, a little bit better, hopefully, I, I think is realistic. But your point is a fair one. We're talking with Ricky O'Donnell at SBN underscore Ricky. If you don't already follow him, do so. He does a great job writing about the NBA, the NBA draft, all sorts of things, uh, basketball for SB Nation. And again, he wrote about America's Memphis Grizzlies. The title of the article, How the Grizzlies Are Playing Their Best Ball Without John Morant. Make sure you guys are checking it out. Uh, You alluded to the idea of the third best player on the Grizzlies right now, Ricky. And that was the subject of our question of the day poll over at Grizzly Bear Blues Live, at GBB Live on Twitter. Uh, The question was, assuming that Jaw is the Grizzlies' best player and that Jaron Jackson Jr. is the second best player on the Memphis Grizzlies, who's the third best player right now? The options that were given were Desmond Bain, uh, Dylan Brooks, DeAnthony Melton, and then other. I'm fairly impressed with our fan base, Ricky. We very rarely agree on anything. Uh, But they agreed that it was one of two players. DeAnthony Melton only got 2% of the vote. Other state in replies only got 1% of the vote and nobody really said in the replies who it was. So I think it was just somebody that, you know, wanted to vote other for some reason. Uh, Desmond Bain, who got my vote because I'm a Desmond Bain mark uh, with 38% of the vote, Dylan Brooks was the winner at 59%. So he won by 21% uh, percentage points, excuse me, over Bain. Do you agree with that assessment watching this team? Is Dylan Brooks their third best player? Uh, at this moment, or do you think we're we're underestimating what Bain brings? Because I see, you know, everything you said about Bain being a creator, like you saw his senior season at TCU, the way that he can score the ball, the way that he's helping and facilitating offense now from his time in summer league, obviously worked on that skill. You know, I, I am of the mindset that offensively he is what we hoped Dylan Brooks would be. Whereas, of course, Dylan brings so much defensively. He is that one bigger wing because Kyle Anderson is really used as a big now by Taylor Jenkins more than anything. Um, I understand the choice of Brooks. I said Bain 
If you had to choose between Brooks and Bain for the third best player on the Grizzlies right now, who would you say, Ricky? Well, come on, man. You know I saw that poll, and I voted in it. I voted for Bain when I saw it. Hey, my boy. Yeah, it's like I could. I am not surprised at all that Brooks won, right? Just because Brooks, like me and you, might be able to knock his scoring efficiency a little bit and say, well, you know, there's times where he feels like a little bit of a chucker where he uh, gets some tunnel vision as a scorer. But you can't really just like look at the numbers with a player like Dylan Brooks, no, the emotional leader of the team. He brings so much uh, to the table in terms of intangibles. So, yeah, Dylan Brooks is the sort of player that any team's fan base is going to love just because he's such a fiery competitor. Obviously, he's a really good player, too. Like He was not someone who, when I watched him in Oregon, I thought, oh, yeah, this guy's going to turn into a really good defensive wing. Uh, and he has. So it's a credit to him for sort of molding himself into that type of player. Uh, I I like Bain, though. Maybe I'm just a sucker for the younger player. Bain's 23 only. Uh, he's someone who I followed closely when he was in college at TCU through the last couple of years of his career there. So uh, I just love what Bain brings to the table. I think Bain's the type of player every team could use. Uh, in terms of finding a secondary creator, I mean, there's not many guys who pair better with Morant, in my opinion, just because he can knock down the spot-ups with consistency, uh, and he gives you a little bit of a juice now in terms of attacking a set defense so i think maybe you wish he was a little bigger that's something that could hold him back but uh generally i think i think bane's bane is awesome i think he's going to be a long-term piece for them unless they package a bunch of guys and try to swing a big trade uh but if that doesn't happen i mean you have to just think that the grizzlies core is just still so young like the fact that they are fourth in the western conference right now that they made the playoffs last year these are all like great signs for the Grizzlies. And the real question is like, what are they going to do when Morant is in the prime of his career? And, you know, there, there are certainly some benefits to him being so good right away. Like he's just not making that big of a salary cap number at the moment. So, uh, you know, once he gets that extension, other team building possibilities will be more difficult, but uh, I think the Grizzlies got a really good thing going. They have a solid collection of young talent. And there is potential for them to try to swing for a trade in the future if they want to. But will they do that, Ricky? Will they make that big swing? Do they make that swing in the draft? Is this a prolonged rebuild? Do they get in on the potential Jalen Brown sweepstakes, the Ben Simmons sweepstakes? We're going to talk all about that and more later, or excuse me, next on Grizzly Bear Blues Live. We're taking a quick break. We're talking with Ricky O'Donnell at SBN underscore Ricky. Do not go anywhere. We'll be right back on Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Molinax, joined at this time by Ricky O'Donnell, does a fantastic job at SBN underscore Ricky on Twitter, writing about all things basketball over for the mothership, SB Nation, which grizzlybearblues.com is very fortunate to be a part of. And Ricky, we talked about in the previous segment, talked about America's team. The Memphis Grizzlies. It's not the Dallas Cowboys. That's trash. It's the Memphis Grizzlies. It's not the everyone Phoenix hates Cavaliers. the Cowboys. Yeah, everybody hates, hates the Cowboys. Grizzlies? Nobody hates the Cavaliers, but they had LeBron. You know, LeBron was there twice. He went there twice in the draft, and then he went back. They got a championship. It's the Memphis Grizzlies. We can all just agree. Cleveland is fine. <laughs> okay, it's the Grizzlies' time. It's the Grizzlies' I'm time. I, I'm glad I teased it like that. You're getting a lot of money. Yes, I'm. I'm. Oh yeah, I'm fired up. You fired me up, Ricky. Um. In the previous segment, we talked about how deep this team is. Brevin Knight, who does the color analyst, or is the color analyst on uh, Grizzlies broadcast, 
he recently said on a show that he believes they're the deepest team in the NBA, top to bottom. And I'd like to see other teams that have a better one through 17. I mean, like you mentioned in the previous segment, Killian Tilly, who is a lottery talent who had, you know, very bad knees uh, when his draft time came along on a two way contract. There aren't many guys that are better than Killian Tilly in that role in the NBA. So maybe Brevin Knight is right, and they're the best one through 17 team in the NBA. You don't have 17 man playoff rotations, obviously. And, and it's kind of been discussed and debated, you know, over at GBB and other places on Grizzlies Twitter, the, the need for a third man, right? The first piece to that is trades in general. Like when you look at this Grizzlies roster, Ricky, going into the trade deadline, obviously, you know, Christmas is kind of the official launching off point of the NBA season. You know, football's wrapping up. Hey, look, the NBA's kicking into high gear. Most teams are kind of set in whether they're going to be good, bad, lottery, pushing for the playoffs. The Grizzlies appear to be a team that's going to be in that playoff mix. Do you see them as a team that should be a buyer at the at the trade deadline? Should they be a seller because they're technically still rebuilding? Uh, they're the second youngest team in the NBA. So should they try to see if Brooklyn or Golden State, who both have trade exceptions, are interested in a slightly used Kyle Anderson uh, for, for a championship run for either of those squads? Or does it make sense to keep Kyle in Memphis and try to maximize this current crop of Grizzlies and try to make a move this summer? What do you see early in the process, obviously, for Memphis in terms of this upcoming trade deadline? Are they buyers? Are they sellers? Or should they just stand pat and kind of see what comes to them? Yeah, great question. I mean, they got three first-round picks, right? They got the Lakers pick. They have their own pick. And That's correct. Jazz pick. Yep, they so, have all three. And I'm pretty sure they're not making all three selections. Right. And we've seen the Grizzlies be active around the draft before. Last year, they make the trade to move up, get Zaire Williams. Uh, it's a great question. What should the Grizzlies do at the trade line? They are in a fascinating position because they're fourth in the Western Conference, and the West is so strange this year because Jamal Murray's hurt, because Kawhi's hurt. It's like the Warriors, Suns, and Jazz feel like they're a step ahead of everyone else. The Lakers are sort of the sleeping giant if they can figure it out. I think the Lakers kind of stink lately watching them. but They, they do up. stink. They stink, Ricky. The Grizzlies yeah. played them, and they didn't have LeBron – or they didn't have Jaron. They didn't have jaw, and they got worked by the the by America's team, the Memphis Grizzlies. So that's right. I I think that you're you're onto something. They look pretty bad right now. So it's a tough situation for the Grizz. I would maybe just hold steady. I mean, if you could get another first round pick for Anderson in the future, you know, potentially that could be a good move because they are so deep. I do think they could like. Uh, lose Anderson and still not drop off much in terms of their overall team performance. But yeah, I think holding steady might be the best move for now. And in terms of, you know, what they're going to do this off season, I could see them trading up in the draft again, trying to just like identify a guy who they think could grow alongside Jackson and Morant and eventually grow into a star. Maybe Zaire Williams becomes that guy, but I think Zaire, uh, you know, a lot of things need to go right for that to happen. Like there's, it, he's by no means a sure thing, right? He's sort of a lottery ticket. If it ends up hitting, it's going to be a big wing for the Grizzlies who can hit catch and shoot shots and maybe give him a little bit of secondary creation ability too. But 
Uh, I still think that he's a few years away from making a meaningful NBA impact and probably just getting him out of the rotation was another thing that helped the defense. I would guess, cause I know he was playing a little bit more. I wrote in- about that. He was literally one of the worst players in the NBA that was yeah. playing that many minutes. And that's not a surprise to me watching his career at Stanford. And I liked him too in the draft. I think that, you know, maybe the Grizzlies wanted Franz Wagner. Maybe they wanted Josh Giddy. Both of those guys were gone. So you take the lottery ticket wing, who, if it does all come together, is going to be a really good player one day. Like that move for them in general. But uh, yeah, with three picks this year, I could see him trading up again. Uh, someone like A.J. Griffin in this draft. I don't know how much draft prep you've done yet. But A.J. Griffin, I think, is super interesting. He's getting buried at Duke right now. He's barely playing at all. But he got uh, some minutes in a blowout against a low major school. It might have been like South Carolina State or something in their last game. And he was phenomenal. He was just hitting pull-up threes, looking like the prospect I thought he was coming into Duke. So I think if the Grizzlies are going to make a move in, you know, uh, for a long-term piece, I think trading up in the draft, especially when you got three picks this year, could be a pretty good move. I would probably target someone like him. I don't know if he's going to be – you know, available when the Grizzlies make their first round pick. But uh, if you don't think they're going to keep, you know, actually keep players in all three picks in the first round, that's the type of prospect I would target. Uh, And then, you know, the other thing you do is just sort of stockpile assets and maybe try to wait to make your big move. And it's funny, you asked me who should the Grizzlies go after potentially if they were to go all in for a star. And the two names I thought of when I read that email were, Ben Simmons and Jalen Brown. Now I'm still skeptical that Jalen Brown is really attainable. Like what does it really do for the Celtics to get a couple of good young players, but guys who are not nearly as good as Jalen Brown and a bunch of picks. It just, I don't really see Boston's motivation for doing something like that. And then Philly, it's like, who knows what Philly's thinking with Simmons. I think, you know, in a sense, everyone knows what they're thinking. They're waiting for Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal to become available. Both of those guys have sort of had down years to start the season. So maybe that's more likely now than it was three, four months ago. But uh, Memphis is in a in a good position because Morant and Jackson are still years away from their prime. Obviously, you don't want to take anything for granted, but uh, it, they were lucky Morant avoided a serious injury for sure when he went down against the Hawks. and. Those guys are still so young. They're still, you know, two, three years away from fully hitting their prime. I think that was the idea with taking Zaire Williams, someone who, you know, maybe he starts to come into his own a little bit around the time Morant is at the peak of his powers. And Morant might be there already, honestly. Like, players, I think, do peak a little bit earlier than some of us like to think. And Morant was playing at an all-NBA level. Like, it's hard to get much better than that. Uh, but in general, yeah, they, I think you're asking all the right questions there. I don't think that there's like an obvious thing they should do uh, in terms of like, oh, definitely move Kyle Anderson. Like it depends what you could get for him. I, I don't think the team would fall off too much if they were to trade him. Uh, and I would love to see the Grizzlies make, you know, another trade up in the draft to try to find a long term piece they really love. And then, you know, maybe eventually go all in for a star. To me, that's the most likely path at this time is is that if they're going to try to get that third man, it's going to be through the draft. You know, Jay Nivey is a name that gets floated around a lot in Memphis, in part because his mother, I believe his mother, uh, who is now the head coach at Notre Dame, uh, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong on that, uh, she was a coach with the Grizzlies for right. a year or two. So obviously there's the connection there, and, you know, Ivy is doing a lot of good things for Purdue. Uh chances are he's not going to be there when the Grizzlies select. So they'd have to trade up 
to get somebody like that. And he and might be me, a top five pick at this point. Right, so. right. So I think that the challenge with that is what do you give up to move up to that point? Obviously, they're not just going to take – you know, this is an NBA 2K where you give the 12th pick, the 20th pick, and the 24th right. pick. And they're like, oh, yeah, sure, take number four. Uh, that's not how this works. Um, I- I'm curious – to me, that's the best way to do it because – it guarantees a Memphis-built player. Uh, they, they don't have habits from other places. They don't have something else to compare it to. You know, it's a young player that's excited to be in the NBA. And once Memphis has brought guys in, I don't know how much you were able to see of the Zach Randolph retirement, Ricky, uh, that happened on Saturday night. The video and some of the highlights. Yeah, it was it awesome. Was, it was phenomenal. It, it was really well done. I think it was one of the best retirements number or number retirements I've seen done and I've watched a good bit of them over the years just as a fan of basketball. Uh, I think that the love that Memphis shows these guys is real. But as you mentioned in the previous segment, they're not going to make that choice in free agency. They're just not. We're talking about mid 20s, early 30s, millionaires, multimillionaires. Some of these guys make $50 million a year now. They're not going to choose to spend their lot, a majority of their year in Memphis. They're just not. They've got Miami. They've got the coasts. They've got all sorts of different places that they would rather spend their time. And, and that's understandable to an extent. Uh, but once you get traded there or once you're drafted there, you know, you see how great Memphis is as a place and how much they love basketball. It's one of the very best pure basketball towns in America. Um, I, I really do think that they'll, they'll, they'll fall for it. And young players especially – fall for it so I, I to me it makes sense to trade up to the draft but i do want to focus to get you out of here on this on let's say hypothetically jalen brown is available let's say obviously we know ben simmons is available but it sounds like maury is asking for the moon if i say that the very best offer that the memphis grizzlies can make and i'm not saying i would do this i'm saying this is the best offer i'm putting on the table Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, DeAnthony Melton. Three proven good to very good wings in the NBA at this stage. Plus the Lakers pick, which could be a lottery pick if the Lakers keep imploding, or if it's protected and it goes to the Pelicans, it becomes unprotected, I think, the year after that. Plus another first-round pick, like say the Jazz one's not as valuable, Maybe it's a protected Memphis pick down the road. Plus the 2024 first round pick that they have that belongs to Golden State, which, you know, Steph Curry will probably still be chucking threes at that point and, you know, making history as, as a prolific offensive weapon. But there's an outside chance that Golden State falls off a little bit by 2024. Uh, all those guys will be a couple years older. You have three first round picks Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks. Anthony Melton. Is that a good enough package in theory to get someone like Jalen Brown, to get someone like Ben Simmons? Because to me, Ricky, the point of this is to get the third man. So many folks have said, oh, well, the conversation has to start with Jaron Jackson Jr. Well, for me, that's where the conversation ends because you're defeating the purpose if you lose Jaron and Jaw. I think you need a third guy to maximize a bigger wing, which obviously, especially Brown, but to a lesser extent, Simmons would be so again three first round picks the lakers pick grizzlies protected future first the 2024 golden state pick bain 
Melton, Brooks. If you're Daryl Morey, if you're running the Celtics, if you're Brad Stevens, are you saying yes to either of those deals? Are you close? Where is that value? Because I think that's as far. And like I said, that sounds like a lot to me as a Memphis Grizzlies blogger. I think a lot of national people are going to be like, that's not enough for those guys. Yeah, no, I, I know how this goes for sure. And I think any Grizzlies fan listening to that offer would be like, wow, that is a lot. I did an article and emailed you guys. Uh, this was a couple months ago now, basically going to every SB Nation team site and be like, all right, what's your best possible package for Ben Simmons? And the Grizzlies, you guys at the Grizzlies site were like one of the few teams that like actually put it on the table. And other, you know, the writers from other covering other teams were, uh, you know, didn't want to do it, too tentative to do it. But yeah, I think to me, for sure, do that trade if you're Memphis. Like, if you could get Jalen Brown, go get Jalen Brown. That would be an incredible piece to pair with John, to pair with Jaron. Uh, so that's a no-brainer for Memphis's side. But you got to think when players like that go on the table, uh, that every you know a lot of teams are going to put their best offer forward. And I don't know. It's a lot of picks. It depends how much people value those picks. There, there's not any like premium picks in that package i would say that's correct there's nothing that's going to be like a top five or top eight pick you know i'm based in chicago the bulls just traded the number eight pick in the draft to get nikola vucevic uh, and they traded another first rounder in 2023 in that deal too so you just wonder if anyone else would like step up a little bit more than the grizzlies because those picks aren't big then again like you know fast forward two three years from now couldn't you imagine like bane turns into just like you know, he just gets like five, ten percent better in every category and becomes like a really good player. And then maybe a team like Philly's kicking themselves for not trading Ben Simmons uh, to Memphis. To me, Simmons seems more attainable, but Maury just has tunnel vision right now in terms of you know what he desires out of a trade package for Simmons, and that's not what Memphis can offer, right? Like that, what Memphis could offer is a really good trade package, and I think that if the Sixers or another organization was in like, uh, you know, more of a rebuild mindset instead of a mindset like the Sixers are where they want to nail Embiid's championship window, then maybe they could have a match. But I just don't know if that's going to be a match right there for them. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Like, and then the thing about Jackson, too, like maybe there's a point where you think, well, I think we can get good bigs in the draft and like what we can't get is a good wing. So, you know, maybe there's a point where you do trade Jaron Jackson for Jalen Brown, something like that. I don't I would be shocked if that happened, just knowing how Memphis runs its organization as a team that wants to draft guys, get them into the culture, keep them there long term and one day retire their number like Zebo. So I would be really surprised if they did make a move with Jaron and try to change that up, especially at this point. Uh, but, you know. Maybe two, three years from now, if there's still playoff failure, they feel like that is something they want to do as uh, he continues to go into his second second contract. So it's a fascinating question. I think in general, like being a Grizzlies fan, it's better than being fans of a lot of teams throughout the league. Like the right Kings. Now. You don't want to be a fan of the Kings right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. You're like, you know, the yeah. Bulls were horrible for the last four yeah. years. The fewest wins in the NBA the last four years before they started trading all their future draft picks, which was awesome. And just like getting... <laughs> Uh, a more competent team this year. So I think the Grizzlies are in a good spot. I get that 
the fans are like, all right, well, what's the next move? How do we really get into contention? Because we're still a level below that right now. Uh, and, you know, internal development is probably the best way it happens, right? Like making a move in the draft and going to get a player. Ben, Ma- I'll name a few draft guys who I think uh, look pretty good. The Grizzlies fans might want to keep an eye on to this point. I already said AJ Griffin. I would definitely check him out from Duke. Nikola Jovic, I think is pretty interesting. He's a international 6'10 forward. Uh, and then I had one other guy who's slipping my mind now. Uh, oh, Ben Matherin from Arizona. He's a sophomore. He's a returner this season. Uh, just been an absolutely dynamic shooter and, you know, would really fit into the type of player the Grizzlies historically target, I think, in terms of being like a 6'6 guard who could play off the ball, defend, hit a lot of shots, doesn't have a ton of juice as a non-ball creator. But those are just some names I would look at in terms of, uh, you know, guys the Grizzlies could eventually maybe try to go get. Caleb Houston as well from Michigan. And I think Griffin might be the guy who has the highest long-term upside. So maybe that's someone they would look into uh, if they wanted to make a trade up in the draft. But uh, in general, I mean, this is a fun team and I can't wait to see what they look like once Ja gets back in the mix. Cause you know, the team is finally playing like complete basketball right now and adding Morant when he comes back, uh, you know, hopefully it takes him up a level and Morant can pick up where he left off in terms of his individual play. I need to wait and see. It's a delayed gratification situation. And I think that that is what Grizzlies fans have to continue to keep in mind. This team is not supposed to be a title contender yet. I don't think there's pressure like there was in Atlanta to push in some chips and, and spend some money to bring in a bunch of guys. To me, they're in a place where they can continue to focus on internal development. I think that, like you mentioned with Kyle Anderson, that makes a ton of sense to me to move off of him. They ha- if, if Kyle Anderson is a big, essentially, at this point of his career, then they've got plenty of those. And I would probably, and I like Kyle Anderson a lot. I like his game. Uh, I just don't know that he fits with Memphis anymore. So to me, that's what makes the most sense. Those expiring contracts, maybe you float those at the deadline, go from there. And, and every single draft that the Grizzlies have done, they have made a trade. Then the 2019 draft, they traded for Brandon Clark. 2020, obviously you had Xavier Tillman and Desmond Bain. And then 2021, of course, was the Zaire Williams draft. So, it's almost a lock at this point that they're going to make some sort of deal. Ricky, thank you so much for your time, buddy. It is much appreciated. You do a phenomenal job for the mothership over at SB Nation. Thank you again. At SBN underscore Ricky, check out all his work there. We appreciate you, sir, and hopefully we'll be able to have you back on down the road. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. For Ricky, I'm Joe. Make sure you're subscribing, rating, reviewing on the GBB Podcast Network, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeart iTunes, uh, all the different places that you can put Google podcasts, anywhere you can get a podcast, you can listen to the GBB podcast network. So one more time for Ricky, I'm Joe grind forth Grizz nation. This is grizzly bear blues. Live.